The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moments Information Security Wrap-Up for Friday, May 26th, 2023. We start out today from Cyber Protection Magazine. Mental health is not a new concept. One might look back and consider how far as a society we have come, rather than suppressing all conversations that have suggested that something might be wrong. And the reason why I chose this article is because it's about mental health with regards to information security and cybersecurity. You all know that that is a passion topic of mine, which is why in every interview, I ask my guests, how they decompress. A lot of interesting things out there, how people do decompress. It's not to say, though, that everything is perfect, according to Mimecast, getting back to the blog post here. More than half of cybersecurity professionals say that their work negatively impacts their mental health, quote. Now, as workloads increase and we all have to balance more, we've spoken to technology experts, this the article, to ask how their organizations and other organizations can best support their colleagues during troubled times. And I've got a couple of those folks there and their opinions, but check out the article for some more great pieces of advice. So Terry Starr, Managing Director at Least Web UK, suggests that organizations should cultivate a positive workplace culture. Quote, some of the ways that we ensure this is by implementing regular check-ins with our staff, including workshops specifically designed to challenge negative behaviors and mindsets and ensuring regular conversations are taking place with anyone who indicates that they are struggling. And he summarizes, quote, during challenging times, one of the most important things that you can do is simply to let someone know that you're there for them, no matter what. Sometimes this can make all the difference. Now, this is echoed by Hugh Scantleberry, CEO and founder of Aquila. He says, quote, small actions can make a big difference. For example, encouraging employees to take regular breaks throughout the day and having informal check-ins will create an empathetic culture, which employees feel comfortable sharing their feelings and asking for help when necessary. And he adds, quote, people work best when they're not stressed or overwhelmed. So every business leader should take action to relieve the pressure on their employees. That's something to remember every day, not just during Mental Health Awareness Week. And I'll add, I remember in one particular position, I was told at one point that I wasn't there to make friends. Let's just say that that was a toxic environment. And I didn't stay. So I am very much a proponent of mental health in the workplace. You do not want to stay in a toxic workplace. It's not worth it. Now back to some other news. Bleeping Computer reports that Mandiant Security researchers have discovered a new malware called Cosmic Energy. It's designed to disrupt industrial systems and linked to Russian cybersecurity outfit Rostelecom Solar, formerly Solar Security. This malware specifically targets ICE-104, Compliant Remote Terminal Units, RTUs, because we like acronyms, commonly used in electric transmission and distribution operations across Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Cosmic Energy was discovered after a sample was uploaded to the VirusTotal malware analysis platform back in December of 2021 by someone with a Russian IP address. 
Analysis of this leaked malware sample has revealed several noteworthy aspects regarding cosmic energy and its functionality. First, the malware shares similarities with previous malware like Industroyer and Industroyer V2, both used in attacks targeting Ukrainian energy providers in December 2016 and April 2022. Additionally, it's Python-based and it uses open source libraries for OT protocol implementation implementation, just like other malware strains targeting industrial control systems, including Iron Gate, Triton, and InController. Just like InDestroyer, Cosmic Energy likely gains access to the target's OT systems via compromised MSSQL servers using the PyHop distribution tool. Once inside the victim's network, the attackers can control RTUs remotely by issuing IEC 104 on or off commands via the Lightwork malicious tool. Now, Mandiant does believe that this newly discovered malware may have been developed as a red teaming tool designed to simulate disruption exercises by Russian cybersecurity company Rostelecom-Solar. Interesting stuff. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsor, Bitdefender. Bitdefender provides cybersecurity solutions with leading security, efficacy, performance, and ease of use to small and medium businesses, mid-market enterprises, and consumers. Guided by a vision to be the world's most trusted cybersecurity solutions provider, Bitdefender is committed to defending organizations and individuals around the globe against cyber attacks to transform and improve their digital experience. Now, this from InfoSecurity Magazine, the UK National Cybersecurity Center, or NCSC, and several other international security agencies have issued a new advisory warning to the public about Chinese cyber activity targeting critical national infrastructure networks in the United States. According to this document, the People's Republic of China, PRC, is associated threat actors employed sophisticated attacks to evade detection while conducting malicious activities. These tactics could also be potentially used on critical infrastructure outside the United States. The threat actors gained initial access by exploiting publicly facing applications, specifically Earthworm and Port Boxy. They then employed various methods to ensure persistence and maintain control over the compromised systems, such as using backdoor web servers with web shells, including the Awin web shell variant to establish a long-term presence. To evade detection, the cyber actor, aka criminal, adopted several defense evasion techniques, including defeating, deleting Windows event logs, system logs, and other technical artifacts. I added that aka criminal because there was a survey on LinkedIn, a, a poll, what um, we should call those folks like threat actors and so on. And my response was other. And I said criminals because that's what they are. And as another side note, I never like the term threat actor. That just sounds too like you're trying to make yourself sound self-important. I don't know. I just, I use it because it's an industry term. I just don't like it. All right, back to the news. Heads up, CEO. Cyber risk influences company credit ratings. And this is uh, that security intelligence says. More than ever, cybersecurity strategy is a core part of business strategy. A lot of us know that. For example, the company's cyber risk can directly impact its credit rating. Did you know that? 
Credit rating agencies continuously strive to gain a better understanding of the risks that companies face. Today, those agencies increasingly incorporate cybersecurity into their credit assessments. Keep that in mind. This allows agencies to evaluate a company's capacity to repay borrowed funds by factoring in the risk of cyber attacks. As per the Wall Street Journal, WSJ, credit rating agencies are placing greater emphasis on how companies handle cyber attacks. Cybersecurity has now become part of the assessment of creditworthiness. S&P Global Ratings analysis, analysts rather, have revealed that companies and government agencies affected by cyber attacks have been downgraded due to IT outages, as well as the financial impact of the attacks. Now, Moody's Investor Service and Fitch ratings have also highlighted the dangers of cyber risks. In the event of a cyber attack, some financial consequences could be immediately apparent. Others may take months to materialize, and it could impact the organization's ability to repay its debt. Anyway, the article continues with some advice from the World Bank, first starting with cybersecurity focus areas that should include data privacy, awareness and education, information sharing and communications, resilience, identity and access management, asset management, change and configuration management, software security, third-party management, physical security, endpoint security, network security, data protection, threat and vulnerability management, event logging and monitoring, and then they also offer some steps to develop a cybersecurity and data privacy strategy. Some of these steps would be to prioritize critical assets, understand the threats, this is AKA threat intelligence, assess the current state, determine the future state, hopefully the one that you want, not the one that you're afraid to have, create an implementation plan to get from current to future state and implement and track progress. HelpNet Security says phishing campaign targets chat GPT users. I don't think I can get through one of these podcasts without talking about chat GPT in one way, shape, or form. A clever phishing campaign aimed at stealing users' business email account credentials by impersonating OpenAI, the company behind chat GPT chatbot, has been spotted by Inky researchers. The initial phase of the attack involves the victim receiving an email that appears legitimate, purportedly sent by OpenAI. The email requests the recipient to verify their email address in order to continue to use their chat GPT account setup. To further deceive the victim, the threat actors manipulate the sender's domain to make it seem as if the email originated from the organization's IT support. Email spoofing. What a concept. Within the email, a quote, verify your email button is provided containing a malicious link. Upon clicking that link, the victim is redirected to a deceptive website designed to resemble their organization's legitimate site. This is not sophisticated, folks. Here, they are prompted to enter their login credentials. Although the first login attempts return an error message, the victim's sensitive data has already been captured by the attackers. You're done. Subsequently, a second login attempt redirects the victim to their own domain. In other words, the legitimate domain. This redirection happens because the per this is interesting because the personal code uses a my slice variable uh, window.location.replace to construct a new URL and that replaces the existing malicious URL according to Inky experts. So when they do this, the phishing site was not saved in the browser session history. So the recipient wouldn't be able to go back 
use the back button to navigate back to the phishing site. Clever. Also from HelpNet Security, because they have such great information, a vulnerability CVE2023-2868 in Barracuda Network's email security gateway, ESG, because we like acronyms. The appliances have been exploited by attackers the company has warned. Now, CVE2023-2868 is a critical remote command injection vulnerability affecting only physical Barracuda email security gateway appliances versions 5.1.3.001 through 9.2.0.006. Quote, this vulnerability arises out of a failure to comprehensively sanitize the processing of a .tar file. That's tape archives if you never knew what tar stood for. It stems from incomplete input validation of user-supplied .tar file as it pertains to the names of the files contained within the archive. So as a consequence, a remote attacker can specifically format these file names in a particular manner that will result in remotely executing a system command through Perl's QX operator with the privileges of the email security gateway product, says the official CVE listing. Did you get all that? There's a test at the end. The company identified the vulnerability on May 19th, 2023 and pushed a patch to all ESG appliances worldwide as of May 20th, 2023. Quote uh, from the company, as part of our containment strategy, all ESG appliances have received a second patch on May 21st, 2023. Users who appliances we believe were impacted have been notified via the ESG user interface of actions to take. Barracuda has also reached out to these specific customers, the company said, but did not explain what the second patch does. I was wondering that too when I read that. I suspect we might find out a little bit more about this as time goes on. Finally, we have our last segment. It's my favorite segment. Don't do this all the time, but when I find a good list, I like to include it. So this is one. I'll take a list based on the title of the article. I won't read the article in advance. If it seems interesting to me, I'll read it on the air. And today's list is from Bugprove. This is, I got to scroll up to the top, excuse me, show prep error. It is seven questions and answers about firmware and firmware security. Now, this is a pretty detailed blog Post. It is from last month, but um, it's. I only present this here because it's got a lot of really good, interesting information on it. So I'm just going to go from a high level, look at the um, the seven items, and then you can dive in deeper from there. The link is, of course, as usual in the show notes. So the first one is: What are the most common firmware image formats? And this is uh, either for bare metal which is binary file, Intel hex, or Motorola S record. I have no idea what these three mean, but you probably do. And rich OS for embedded systems with a rich operating system. There's a listing of all that stuff. Who writes the firmware? It's written by specialized firmware engineers who have expertise in low-level programming, and then they have a good write-up on writing firmware. What is firmware security? Well, according to the blog post, there is not a universally accepted definition of firmware security, but it generally refers to the protection of firmware from exploitation, modification, and unauthorized access. 
And then it goes through secure firmware development and some security operations. This is secure boot and firmware updates and also some on implementation. Number four, if I'm keeping track correctly, can you reverse the engineer? Can you reverse <laughs> engineer? Turn around. <laughs> no, can you reverse engineer an encrypted firmware? In general, no, apparently you can't because you can't really decrypt encrypted firmware without additional information. And you may be able to hear the sirens in the background that they seem to think that that's an important aspect as well too. On the other hand, one can reverse plain text firmware and that might be ways to extract such an image from a device even if firmware is encrypted at rest. So in other words, that you should really encrypt the firmware in some way, shape or form. Number five, what are the most dangerous vulnerabilities in firmware? Well, they say here, it's, it's hard to have an objective list here, but some of these are things that we've heard about before. Confirmed buffer overflows, injections, they are considered critical since they can easily lead to remote code execution attacks. And then they go into a lot more detail on those items. So if you want to learn more about those, because we hear that a lot when we hear about zero days or patches for volumes and all that, it's like buffer overflow. And this, we learn a little bit more by reading this. Number six, what are firmware security best practices? Don't connect to the network. No, I'm just kidding. That would mean that you didn't have any usefulness whatsoever. Many practices will help firmware developers to design and implement a secure IoT system. It cannot be stressed enough that firmware developers should follow secure coding practices such as input validation and carefully managing memory and other resources to prevent common vulnerabilities such as buffer overflows and injection attacks, which we just talked about. Um, and I guess that's it. Maybe I missed one, but uh, I'm at the conclusion. So check out that article. It's an interesting article. It's in the show notes. Hope you'll get a chance to check that out. Check out some of the other links there too, as well as please visit our sponsor, Bitdefender. We appreciate them sponsoring the podcast for the past month. Look forward to other sponsors. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, give me a holler. I'll let you know all the details. And I hope you have a wonderful and safe extended weekend. We will be back on Monday with a quick strike, even though most people will be just sleeping in, at least in the United States. Until then, stay secure.